The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and geeks, and welcome to another fan-critical podcast. This week we are covering the second episode of The Walking Dead Season 8, entitled The Damned and directed by Rosemary Rodriguez. We are a man down this evening, a bit like the episode that we've just seen of The Walking Dead. So I'm Emma, your host, and I'm joined by Len. Hiya. Yeah, I'll be um, doing a positive and negative spin on the episode in John's absence. R.I.P. John. Initial thoughts, Len, about this week's episode. Okay, so I thought the season premiere was quite strong, um, even though I think we said last week that it missed that sort of marquee moment uh, as it was the 100th episode. I think this week had some really good parts, but I think overall it wasn't a great episode, mainly because some of the direction was a bit off. Um, and some of the action sequences didn't really make any sense. And mainly just because I, I, I'm, I'm in a position where I've read the comics and I can sort of understand where they're going with their plan to attack Negan and the Saviors because I've read it and I and I sort of understand what like the logistics are of it. But I don't think anyone watching this episode on a first watch is like, oh yeah, this is what's happening. Like they, they, they just they, there's no explanation of a plan, you know, saying, okay, we're going to attack Negan with loads of zombies, so he's pinned in, and then we're going to attack his three different outposts, one with housing, or two different outposts, one with guns, the satellite array that we attacked in season six. There's none of that. And I think that's a bit of a problem. If you take that away, some of the individual moments in the episode are really good. Uh, I really like Morgan in this episode in terms of his, like, John Wick-esque style of hunting down people in the um, satellite array. I love the stuff with Rick. Um, so yeah, there's really good parts. I'm just annoyed they didn't have one scene that just said, "Hey, here's the plan. Let's just let this is what's going to happen." I mean, it would take like literally a minute and a half, and it could be quite cool if you intercut that with the like different scenes of like all those different assaults starting at the same time. So my feelings are similarly mixed, but uh, much more weighted towards really enjoying this episode. So uh, Le made a really good point there that. Um, I come from a sales background, I'm going to throw it out there. No one signposted the action here. Um, when you pick up the phone and try to sell someone, you tell them what you're trying to sell them. When you turn on the TV to watch an episode, what you want to know is a rough guidance of, of where we're going with this. And I think that it was quite difficult to judge that. However, 70% of me in this episode was just so happy largely because of the style and the structure so the one thing i really loved about the damned was the mirroring of groups partnerships and uh, the juxtaposition of experiences and i think we'll talk a little bit more in detail about different pairs of individuals and their experiences through this episode and how they are uh, reflected and also some serious throwbacks to early days again very much like episode one um i was somewhat underwhelmed but i finished the episode with a lot of things to say so um i appreciate what they're trying to do they are trying to make us as an audience figure out essentially what's going on and they're trying to like do it quite you know with a different different sort of narrative a different style like with the flash forwards in the last episode and now like with this weird montage at the start and the end which just did not work of this episode i understand what they're trying to do but they need to realise that the enjoyment of the episode is not figuring out what the plan is. The enjoyment of the episode is is telling us the plan, like a heist movie or something, and then seeing it come to fruition or fail. That is the enjoyment of the episode. Like, I just don't think that people watching it have the sense of 
okay, Negan's got like four outposts. He's not just got the big building that we were at last season. You know, he's got the satellite array they attacked in season six. He's got guns, cash, buildings somewhere else. You know, he's got all these other outposts. And I don't think many people would know that. So I just think that, that from that point of view, they just missed a trick in just putting a simple scene in there, which would have really helped everyone along. So I think there's been some really mixed feedback um, and reactions to this episode across social media and and various other sources, certainly in in kind of day-to-day conversation in the last couple of days that I've heard. Um, And I I don't disagree. And I wonder whether, from our perspective as a a podcasting group, being quite fan critical um, or, or generally critical about everything that we watch, it impacts the way we enjoy an episode. And I think, Len, I'm probably right in saying that having the background of the comics for this will give you a slightly more critical view. Having said that, I I don't disagree that the the lack of guidance for an audience that are predominantly not comic readers um, is challenging. And there were a lot of points where I was confused and I started to focus less on the storyline in this episode and more on the meaning behind everything that we watched. Um, So we have probably four distinct groups um, throughout this episode, which we see jumping back and forth between. Um, I have to say that one of the things I really loved about The Damned was the tactical structure, which we haven't really seen for a long time in The Walking Dead. Yeah, I think um, Rick and his group have been obviously concocting this plan that no one is uh, that no one actually probably understands fully at this point but they've been making this plan Ooh, and <laughs> what <laughs> no one understands it no one... but it's a plan no one understands it um but yeah they've been making this plan and i think as i said last week i liked the way they <clears throat> opened the season and they used their brains to come up with a plan uh, similar to the comics to basically bring a horde of zombies down upon negan and essentially, it's like a siege that is let, left upon him and he can't escape his main building. All of his troops are sort of cut off now. They can't get out because of it. And that's just really smart. Like, that's using the apocalypse, the zombie apocalypse, to your advantage. And that's why it's great. At the same time, you know, attacking all of his outposts while he can't get his, his guns and his troops um, to them to protect them is also really smart. So... The plan, I've got no problem with the plan once you know what the plan is, you know? No, I completely agree. And I think that um, I still don't quite know what the plan is. I can make some assumptions. I can um, I can tell you what the plan is as we go, if you like. We can, we'll work it out. We'll work we'll it work out. We'll work it out. <laughs> but let's start talking about um, our, our first kind of key group of characters in this episode um, of The Walking Dead. So uh, we've we've agreed between us that we'll start by talking about Carol, Ezekiel, and, and some members of the kingdom um, as they make their way through episode two. Um, I think we, we first see the... Um, probably about 15 minutes in um, King Ezekiel Kari Payton is doing some immense stage acting again Um, and there's a moment where for me in this particular opening scene for that group Carol seems really unsure of Ezekiel and his motivations and you know why he is being the way that he is Um, Len for you how does that relationship between Carol and Ezekiel feel in this episode? So I think they're trying to, they've been sowing the seeds now since since Carol stumbled upon the kingdom in her injured state last year. They've been sowing the seeds of a Carol and Ezekiel relationship, which is quite interesting. And um, like... Pomegranates and chill. Yeah, pomegranates and chill. Two characters I would never put in, um, put together, you know, but now it's kind of growing on me. And I love the Ezekiel's line in this... Um, in this episode, which is probably my favourite part of the episode, actually, which is a uh, fake it till you make it, baby. And he says that. And yeah. I was, uh, that was hilarious. That is actually hilarious. He He's great. I mean, I said last week, I love him. I love I love the fact that he's this sort of comic relief in this sort of crazy yeah. battle and very dreary world that we usually visit. But he's just amazing as an actor, I think. And he's really selling Ezekiel, similar to the comics, like just, just selling him just like it. And I think actually that line's really key for, for me in describing what I love about Corey Payton's uh, 
portrayal of Ezekiel. So when we first see that this particular group, um, it's just post that explosion where that saviour has thrown a grenade into a doorway, which yeah. is a room full of walkers. And yeah. we come back into that kind of full smoke explosion. And, um, and once they've kind of pulled themselves out of it, one of the kingdom guys turns around and says, the damned are upon us. And, um, and and he says, you know, protect the king. And Ezekiel turns around and says, no, protect yourselves. And he, and he starts throwing out across this episode a lot of really bold, selfless statements. And Carol's face when he's saying this is going, dude, what what's going on? You're way too confident, way too confident. And it's kind of throwing back to what we were talking about last, uh, last episode of podcast, where, um, you know, we talk about the number of kills and, and Carol's... I suppose, attack of conscience where she's counting her kills because she desperately doesn't want to be killing people um, and she's got a real uh, conscious moral debate internally for her. And and it's only when he throws out there that kind of fake it till you make it, baby, which is probably the best line in this episode, I have yeah, to definitely. say, um, that Carol, Carol's face turns and she suddenly goes, now I understand what you're doing. Ezekiel is acting to maintain the confidence of the kingdom fighters who really aren't as strong as probably most of the other fighters that we see across this all-out war battle. And the only way that he's able to do that is because he is a stage actor. He's a Shakespeare actor. He's He can he can absolutely fake it till he makes it, but he can stand up and give them confidence as any strong leader can, even when he's in fear, because he knows that the fighters from the kingdom, especially in this particular group will only do that if he builds them up in the right way. Uh, definitely Jerry is in that category. I love Jerry. Yeah. He's one of my favourite characters. One of my favourite characters. Um, and the moments where, you know, there's some really good yes, Jerry moments in this episode where he's like, yes, sw- he swings the axe, like just absolutely amazing, taking out some walkers. He's Total like, badass. he's like, I got this. And he takes out one of the walkers. He's, he's absolutely amazing. And I just hope that when the... Um, apocalypse is over or like this all out war is over sorry that he can you know make some pecan pie with uh, like homely carol and they can <laughs> they have some nice baking together because i think they'd have a great like cooking show bake it till you make it baby. <laughs> bake it till you make it um in comparison to the other groups that we have across the episode but in general in the walking dead actually the kingdom are tactically weak i think but well, in this episode they seem to show a bit more forethought. Len, what do you think about that in comparison to perhaps, you know, Hilltop, Saviors, Alexandrians? Well, Alexandrians, other than obviously our core group of Alexandrians are like, we've followed them all this time. We've They've learned from all of the lessons that they could possibly learn. And they are now a hardened, tough and tough group that, that can take on anything that's sort of thrown at them, even the Saviors at this point. Um, the kingdom obviously live under this sort of fantastical leader who has a pet tiger um and yeah shout out to shiva um and like they yeah they haven't had much battle experience however you know they do do from what we understand they have the most manpower that is in they've got the most uh soldiers and they also have you know what i like to see in my zombie apocalypse sort of uh comics or films or tv shows they have a bit of like forethought about armor, about transportation, about um, you know training. Like you know, there's scenes last season where we saw the kingdom training with bows and arrows and crossbows, and we see them all. You know, they're very. You can identify a, a soldier of the kingdom because they're wearing body armor. You know, clever armor around their arms, like you know, bite proof. So, you know, if a, if, if a walker were to get them on their limbs, which is the key, you know key areas where a walker would get you. They, they're protected so um like when glenn had riot uh riot gear armor in the in the, when he was in the prison back in yes. season three that's just that's just smart you know that is just smart you know i don't know why our group doesn't do that one of the biggest themes in this episode for me and one of the things that really hooked me in um was the fact that everybody has a mirror or a reflection in this episode of The Walking Dead. So we've talked about Carol and Ezekiel and kind of the fighters from the kingdom and, and there's some other kind of key points from, from that group but we might come back to them later. One of the other groups that we follow is um, 
uh, Tyron Jesus and a few other um, of the Kingdom fighters, but also Morgan, who for a long time in the last few seasons of The Walking Dead has been a mirror of Carol in his own way. Um, but we see a really interesting interaction between Tara and Jesus and then, and then Morgan when he rejoins that group. We talked last week about the people that we thought we might lose in this season uh, or the first half of the season of The Walking Dead and Morgan was one of the ones we brought up. Len, what are your thoughts about Morgan slash John Wick in this episode? Yeah, so Morgan Morgan for me, you know, played by Lenny James who is is easily one of the best actors on the show um, always does a good job. I mean, like, doesn't matter what the material is, he does a good job. I think his character, for me, over the last couple of seasons, has just drove me a bit nuts. Now, I don't like this flip-flopping between insane <laughs> Morgan, which is clear, you know, when he's clearing. When he's clearing, he's clearing, you know, he's got to kill everything. Insane. And then you've got pacifist Morgan that refuses to kill and endangers the group. And now you've got insane Morgan again. But he's kind of insane, pacifist, violent. I don't really know who he is, Morgan. And we said this last week. The one thing that frustrates me about the character that Lenny James is now playing, he's an amazing actor. Absolutely incredible. But I feel like, and you you know I am a diehard ritual fan of The Walking Dead. However, I feel very much like they've given up on Morgan. And I feel like, you know, he he threw out something in the first couple of scenes in this episode where he said, yeah, he was asked, does he need cover? And uh, and his response was, I don't die. Foreshadowing of a season death of anything, if I ever seen, that is it. Yeah, I think I think that that line was just awful writing. Like, I, you know, mm. to, to channel John here, I have to, you know, just be negative about some things about it. I actually think it was lazy. It's lazy. It's awful. So what they're trying to say with this line is they're trying to say, like, you know, I don't die. And that is Morgan's punishment. Like, as in, like, he he sees his punishment as living through this zombie apocalypse after all the things that he's done done and seen, like he's seen his wife die, he's seen his son die. He I've never thought about that. His, yeah, his punishment is like, you know, I don't die. My, you know, that's my, that's my punishment. I've got to live through this and I've got to keep killing people and I've got to keep doing this thing that I don't want to do. See, that's really interesting because my reaction to that line was, well, he's definitely going to die in season eight now. But actually thinking about that, it's more about his own, I'm going to say this, I love Morgan, but his own kind of selfish, the fact that he's tried to be a pacifist and now he can't because he got loads of people killed. Now he's got to kill people again. He's like, oh, just don't die. It's more of a, actually thinking about it now, more of a, Jesus, why can't I just die? Maybe he just wants to die. Yeah, I think he wants to die. I think he doesn't want to. I think he wants it to be over. He wants it all to be over. I mean, the writing there was lazy. They didn't get the point across. I think you really had to dig deep to figure out that's what he means. You know, he's gone mental again. Sorry, you can't really say that anymore. He's gone insane again. But, like, you know, the scenes with him at the fence rattling the zombies, I mean, he's just gone a bit nuts. And, and but also, that for me was a real flashback to the prison. Yeah, it's a, it's a good flashback to the prison. Like, I, I, look, the motor zombies around a building that, that the Alexander has already attacked is a clever move from the saviors you know didn't really work but it's a clever move and i think that the flashback to the like you said at the prison with you know the rattling of the fence and all the zombies there i mean that's great great callback but morgan for me in this episode as much as i loved his little action scenes and his um john wick was a great comparison yeah john wick-esque you know just he seems to just like headshot people. You don't really see it. It's budget action. You don't see it. You see him sort of like just shoot off screen and it looks cool. I just am sick of this. And we'll come to it in a minute. I'm sick of the moral question in this show. I'm sick of it. We're like, not going to come to it quite yet. No, I know. But we'll come to it later. It's, it involves Morgan at, to a degree because it's been his MO for the last like two seasons. But we'll come to it later. It just annoys me. One of the things I really liked about Morgan's slightly bizarre rampage, shall we call it? It was a rampage. It was a rampage. He rampaged uh, all over that place. Well, the flashbacks we got with Morgan. So there's a lot of time jumping or time mirroring in both episode one and this episode of The Damned. 
And but a couple of things that we flash back to from Morgan is kind of flashing back to his motivations. So we see we see back into I think season six, correct me if I'm wrong, where we've got them in the church. That is the episode before like that that was just Rick in the church telling the Alexandrians, we've got to hit these guys first or they're gonna hit us. And Morgan at the time was like, No, there's another way to do this. And then Rick and everyone go to the satellite compound that he is attacking now and killing people in. And 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 they go there, they slaughter everyone in their sleep, stab in the head, it's brutal and really cool. One of the best episodes of show's ever done. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, they come back and now this all-out war has started down the line. They've lost Glenn, they've lost Abraham, all because of that one moment. But this, for me, is what's really powerful about this episode of The Walking Dead, is that we are seeing so many contradictions and mirrorings of previous episodes and previous events. So actually, in, in Morgan's case, who is a, a fantastic character in, in my opinion, and I wish he'd been developed more, um, we're seeing the comparison of him pushing his, his pacifist perspective towards Rick, who is just furious at, at the attack on his people. Um, and then watching him do the exact opposite of what he wanted to do in that environment, in that place, to those people. You know, two seasons ago, it's confusing on the timeline, probably a few months. And and I think that change is really powerful. And I think seeing the reflection of, the flashback reflection of Morgan going, no, no, there is another way. And everybody remembering his reaction to it. And, and not just him, but Gabriel too in that particular situation and, and then Rick's insistence that, you know, it has to be this way. I think yeah, makes Rick, his... Rick's right. Rick Rick is right. I mean, I don't I don't disagree. If it was a zombie apocalypse and this was the case and I was involved in this, I'd be killing left, right and centre, I can tell you that. I've thought about it, I have a plan. <laughs> um so kind of widening it out to the group, we 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 see another kind of pair of fighters from different kingdoms. So we see Tara and Jesus. Uh, Len, what do you think about their particular relationship and interaction across their scenes in this episode? Right. So I've got some issues. Oh. <laughs> I've got some issues. This Are is you... where we start having serious problems. This is... This problems is... or a fight? Oh, it, it just... it. Right. They're assaulting... So Tara, Tara, I like as a character. She's not in the comics or whatever. Yeah. She's in the show. She's grown on me loads. Like, you know, when we first saw her was the Governor flashback episodes, I think. And she's come a long way since Shit, then. yeah, actually. Yeah, she's right. come a long way since then. And, you know, she's an important member of the group. Um, she's obviously very angry that Denise died, R.I.P. I say, that was, the really, that was really fucking unfair. Why bring that up? Like, why, why bring what up? Jesus is being an arsehole at this point. And then he brings up the fact that... Denise got shot in the eye. Yeah, when she was away as well. Which she was didn't. not a fair thing to do for Tara, who was powering through for the for the greater good. The, 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 and I'm not, you know, being all like, you know, women for the win. But you know what? She's proved herself and she is incredibly good as a character. She's incredibly strong. And Jesus fucked up in this episode. Look, so... And don't get me wrong, Tom Payne is fantastic, but he fucked up. So Jesus in the comics does not have this issue. He does not have this issue of, um, oh, let's, we don't kill innocent people. They're not innocent, for a start. They're not innocent. They're saviours. They've Agreed. They've attacked your group on several occasions, oppressed oppressed your group or uh, different groups, and they wanted to take all your stuff. And, and, and because of that, people have died, etc. Stop you know, my lunch money. Yeah, I mean, like, what what is he thinking? Like, my problem with this is, it's poor writing again. So they've got this situation mid-firefight. In this complex, mid-firefight, they're having this debate about whether to, like, kill this guy or let him surrender. At that point, you know, Jesus, who is, like, some sort of parkour jujitsu master, turns around. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's all right. He's pissed himself. He's all right. And then gets absolutely, like, done over. One, that would never happen because it's Jesus is really good at martial arts and stuff. He would never do that. But also what amazed me about that was the fact that he was then like, no, I've got total faith in you, Shari. You can definitely shoot this guy before he shoots me. Yeah, he's lost the plot. What? And then, he, and then he didn't kill him. So what is happening here? So basically, then he just, he gets, he gets like, you know, his, his, 
the gun put to his head and the guy's like oh yeah I pissed myself on purpose I was like right this is the, this is just awful writing mm-hmm. it's just bad there's a mid firefight going on who cares right Jesus if you're going to win this war you don't win it by taking 50 prisoners that are going to somehow fuck you up from the inside you have to kill to win this war after the war is finished you can decide what sort of future you want to build for your kids for the rest of society now is not the time mid-attack when you've got friends lives in danger you've got morgan you've got tara you've got other people from the kingdom trying to sort this building you don't put them at risk by keeping some absolute douchebag alive so i'm going to throw two things out here one it's not that hard to piss yourself like i mean if you really want to do it you do it i mean i i get stage fright personally i get stage fright i, I kind of feel like Jesus has definitely aligned himself with Maggie. And, you know, we know in the comics, and then you talked about this last week, that they're both very much de facto leaders of the hilltop. But yeah. but Jesus is, I feel like, slightly in awe of Maggie, who, FYI, we do not see this episode bar that weird opening scene. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that, because I'll, I'll get Shit angry like John. Scene. Yeah, let's not do any anger, John. We'll let you do that at the end. Yeah. Um, but I feel like he's channeling Maggie in the wrong way, that Maggie is benevolent and, and Maggie is moral to whatever extent you can be in the aftermath of the zombie apocalypse. And Glenn dying. Yeah, and that and being pregnant because, you know, pregnant. hormones hard. Um, I wouldn't know. I, I definitely wouldn't know. But I feel like he's misconstrued Maggie's approach to all-out war. Like, Maggie is ruthless, she will she will give anyone the benefit of the doubt, provided they are not part of some ruthlessly destructive, immoral, violent group. And I feel like if Maggie had been in that situation with Tara, Maggie would have just killed that dude. Yeah, I think Maggie would have killed him. I mean, Maggie's smart. Like, you know, let's put it this way. If, if Maggie had the opportunity to kill Negan, would you kill Negan? Yes, yeah. she would. You know, I wouldn't. Would but... Jesus kill Negan? Probably not. So that's the problem. The issue, the issue for me is, as a comic reader, I find it very frustrating when they bring up these questions of morality in stupid times and give them on and impart them on characters that are just awesome in the, in the comics. So Jesus is an absolute one of the best characters and actually, in you, the comics. If you throw back to when we first met Jesus, he was fucking insanely epic. Yeah, he's, like, he's still Payne epic. played like, those first, like, five scenes that we saw him in, like yeah. an absolute I've, boss. I've got nothing against the actor, and I've just, I just think the material here is absolute shit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, just, the writing oh, is bad. You're not wrong. I, I have to say, as much as I loved a lot of this episode, this is a week. This is a weak point. Scenes, appalling yeah as we said good parts of the episode this is a weak part we've got to be honest when it's weak yeah and 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 for me like jesus is cool in the comics he does not care about all this morality stuff he is happy to kill saviors he has been oppressed as a member of the hilltop for god knows how long before the alexandrian has turned up and seen lots of his friends die he is happy to kill them so in comparison to to comic jesus yeah. It sounds like I'm being very religiously insulting. I'm not. I'm yeah. talking about Jesus from The Walking Dead. Does he have a surname? Or is he just... Oh, I can't remember. I, I think his name does get revealed. Do you think that... Here's a here's a slight tangent. Do you think that in the comics he's actually called Jesus and we're just being really anglicised? No, he's, defi- he's definitely Jesus. But it would be amazing if he was Spanish. I feel like it would be really embarrassing if he, they've just gone, yeah, you know what, we're not even going to chat to... Uh, we're not even going to chat to... The writer's... I've yeah. forgotten his name. Robert Kirkman. Thank you. We're not even going to chat to Robert. Well, they We're don't just going to call him... They don't chat to him anymore after the lawsuit. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, he's, he's out. Um, I, I feel a bit like they're trying to make Jesus very... Um, almost replacing... Glenn. Pacif- no. He's replacing Glenn. I don't think he is. Look, I think he's replacing Pacifist Morgan. Okay, well, agreed, but let, look at Because he's kick-ass, and Glenn isn't... I mean, don't get me wrong. No, Glenn's, I miss Glenn's awesome. R.I.P. Glenn. Yeah. And he was great. Yeah. But he wasn't kick-ass. Wait, wait, but by the point he was killed, he's yeah, pretty I mean, boss. He, I mean, he makes stupid he, decisions, but look, here's, he here's the thing why I think he's like Glenn, right? I'm just going to give you some direct comparisons of why I think he's like uh, Glenn. I'm going to go for this. One, he adores Maggie. We know that Jesus as a character is gay in the show and he's gay in the comics. That's fine. But I'm just saying he adores Maggie. Glenn adored Maggie. At the same point, 
Glenn was the moral compass of the show. You know, he saved Nicholas, who we hated, and gave him another chance. And then eventually, you know, sort of got better, but then almost got Glenn killed in that stupid dumpster fiasco that happened a couple of seasons ago. But... Jesus is doing the same thing that Glenn is doing, uh, did with Nicholas. He's like, he's seen an opportunity to save someone and he's done it because he doesn't believe in killing people. Do you know how many people Glenn killed that were only, that were human in the show? Do you know how many people he killed? Quite a significant amount. No, one. What? He killed one human being that was not a walker as far as I understand. And that was in the satellite ambush. Are you counting Nicholas? He didn't kill Nicholas. Nicholas blew his own brains out on the dumpster and took Glenn down with him. He should have killed him. Glenn only killed one human. And that was when they attacked the same building that Jesus is in now. So look, as far as I understand it, they're trying to make Jesus the Glenn character. So I see where you're coming from. I do. I completely get it. But at the same time, as much as I respect and miss Glenn, um, I don't feel like they are comparable characters. And the fact that we talked about this, Jesus is a fucking jujitsu MMA parkour king um and for me that parallel lies more with morgan in that morgan is a killing machine he's the the john wick of twd yeah and so i think the the bizarre parallel that they're making for me personally is jesus morgan and it and it becomes more powerful when Right at the kind of final scene that we see that particular group in, Morgan comes back out of that building and Jesus and Tara are, are fighting again about the, the moral compass of where they should go with, you know, these saviours who have allegedly surrendered themselves. And Morgan comes out and he loses his shit. And, um, and I think that parallel there, for me, is mm. one of the most powerful in that entire episode. And I think they're more aligned than... Jesus and Glenn are, Jesus and Morgan are both incredibly volatile, dangerous yeah. fighters yeah. with a moral waiver. Yeah. Now or fluctuator. As I said earlier, this is where I'm gonna have an issue with things. This All it's right. it's not look, Ezekiel Cowell, good. Rick and Daryl, good. This whole Jesus, Tara, Morgan thing. Even though Morgan's action is good and I like it. I like seeing Morgan, you know, go back to his super cool killing ways. Um, I'm bored of the question of what the right morals are. Like, like I've had two seasons of it with Morgan and Carol. I do not need Jesus taking on this role. Now, electing to allow 20 saviours to surrender is stupid. It's just stupid. Yep. And and at this point in time, they just need to focus on winning the war first. And then, as I said, then you can set your morals after you win the war. People yep. must be bored of this moral question. And I'm just bored of this conflict constantly between like saving people and killing people. Yes, it's important. And yes, it is well, right. to an extent. Yeah, but it's right to have a discussion about it. But we've been discussing it now for three seasons. Why don't we just focus on winning this war, which is what everyone should be like. Look, 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 look. it's not just one person needs to die. Rick needs to say last episode. Lots of people are going to die. And you have to be prepared to kill people to build the future that we want to build. These not people... even that. I don't think it's even about building the future. I think you have to be prepared to kill people to survive. Yeah. Because we can't build a future if we don't survive the next day week months. No. If you don't kill somebody else who's going to take your life or take your environment, or take your home, you're fucked anyway. Yeah, look, they need to win the war first. First and foremost, yeah, totally. win the war, Set then set your parameters, set your rules, set your new laws, set your government, or whatever. I mean, that's what I want to see. I want to see this, that's what I'm interested in, is seeing how a community can thrive with new rules, new laws, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and that's fine. You've got to win this war first, or you're not going to get there. Or Negan's going to win. And then you've got Negan's fucked up, rapey version of society. Do you oh, know what I mean? Got rapey Bran, rapey Negan. Well, he is raping women. themes <laughs> in our podcast. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, I don't disagree from a female perspective. Um, but I'm going to I'm gonna move us on. Yeah, move on to, move so, on to the next group because I have channeled a lot of... John is living yeah, through I, me at the moment. John McCann needs to just get out of Len. He does need to get out of me on a regular. Why, John? Stop Let it! Let him stop. This is me talking. This is me verbalizing how he abuses me. 
dear god um <laughs> we've talked a lot about partnerships so far we talked about carol and ezekiel we talked about tara and jesus we talked about the parallels between jesus and morgan jesus and glenn maggie and jesus a lot of partnerships um the one kind of remaining apart from rashon uh, as i will call them i'm sorry millennials for being so uncool um mm. we've got aaron and eric and one of the other major groups of people that we see is kind of split into two in this episode so you've got Aaron, Eric, Rick, and Daryl, all assorting the gun, Same building. the gun cache building, as we understand it. Obviously, no one would know that unless you know it's not very clear. But by the it's end not of the explicitly epi- explained, by the end of the episode, yeah. you get the point that they're trying to essentially get loads of heavy ammunition um, and stop it from getting to Negan's compound to take out the walkers that they have brought upon him. So. That's what they're trying to do. And it's quite cool the way that um, Aaron and Eric and Tobin, remember Tobin, sort of Carol's love interest. He, Tobin's been there. He's consistent. Oh my God, I totally forgot yeah, about to- that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Tobin's a... Cookie con- Tobin. Yeah, he's a consistent Alexandrian who's, you know, willing, willing to get involved. I actually don't know how he's still alive. Yeah, well, he gets shot this episode, so he might not be um, alive much longer. Ooh. But um, so they all drive up with the cool um, sort of shielded cars, which, as I said last week, Mad is Max. one of the best... Yeah, Mad Max, one of the best sort of ingenuity things that the show's done with the zombies with the zombie apocalypse and the way they um the way they sort of armored their cars and they lay siege to the gun cache building at the same time uh rick and daryl are going in um sort of covert trying to locate the guns and take them out of there one to further their war effort and two to stop them from getting to negan so that he can free himself from the mass of zombies they brought upon him so one of my favourite parts of this episode is the parallels between Rick and Daryl. For me, Rick and Daryl are your your two main characters uh, in a lot of the action that happens in The Walking Dead. Um, I have issues with both of them. I also love both of them in my own ways. But what I really love about this particular set of scenes for them in this episode is that they are completely paralleled. And I think the most powerful thing for me in The Damned is the reflection between uh, Rick Grimes, Daryl Dixon, when they split up and they both come across these reflections of their own lives, but flashbacks of the things that could seriously undo them and not just undo them as people, but undo their resolve to carry on so i mean rick comes across you know this is a big key part of the episode comes across a baby and and, you know himself in the reflection of the mirror yeah so let's talk about that so i think um the the thing this episode like as i said about the last section i didn't like the i didn't like the section with jesus and and all of that lot but the stuff with rick is really good and really smart it's shot well and i like the sort of things it's trying to say so when Rick stumbles across um, this guy who jumps him, it's shot really well and it builds up tension. He goes down a hallway. It's very well lit, very well directed, very well shot. He comes he comes down the hallway. It really builds tension. He gets ambushed by this guy. And it's quite a brutal, you know, one-on-one contest, as you would expect. You know, at this point, anyone who survived to this point is good at fighting. You know, so especially in this compound. Yeah, especially in this compound. So whoever Rick's going to fight now, whoever these characters going to come across, you know, it's 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 pretty evenly matched, and um, the whole fight scene's great. It's brutal. It's well shot. Um, he impales him on that pole, which is just you know, it's a, a it's a shelf bracket, shelf bracket or whatever. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm really good at DIY. IKEA specialist. Fire. He kills him, right? Which was cool. And then you get this reveal of the baby in the room where he thought the guns were going to be. Now, I like this for a couple of reasons. One, I like the fact that essentially Rick has just killed himself, right? <laughs> okay, Donnie Darko. But like, like, it's a father figure protecting a baby, a la Judith or whatever. If this was the other way around and the saviors were doing really well, and they had invaded Alexandria and Rick was like held up on the upper level of his house trying to protect the baby room where Judith is in, it would be the same situation. It's a terrifying reflection yeah. of the potential future that he could be living through. Yeah. And still could be living through, uh, let's face it. But it's also a reminder of the fact that 
and I I like it and I don't like it uh, but it's a reminder of the fact that not all the saviors are like evil you know this baby had no choice in the situation they're just trying to protect their family maybe they're trying to you know survive any way they can um so that's a nice little little nod as well the only thing i'll say about it that is negative oh, here it comes is i'm a big fan of zombie babies right here it goes big fan of zombie babies rick devastated looks at the baby then go looks at himself in the mirror you know and then thinks i'm just going to leave now and then think about this. The dead father, I didn't see any head stabbing going on. I didn't see no. any head wounds going on. He's just been impaled. He's oh, gonna shit. come he's gonna come back as a zombie. He's gonna eat the baby, zombie. Fuck. <laughs> Rick Grimes is brutal. Podcast over. <laughs> For me, actually these scenes and we've not talked about Daryl, but this particular set of scenes for Rick and and the, and the power of those in terms of reflection of him in other people is that they all come across the things that could undo them the most. So Rick comes across a father and a child and himself in a mirror. And Daryl comes across his his cell, shall we call it, with a bloody handcuff and the From food on the season, floor. Yeah. And, you know, that, that whole imprisonment. And I'm not going to sing the tune because it stayed in my head for six weeks. And Fucking I don't he, even... Don't. He, I hate Don't. No, I will not sing it. Um, and then, and then Morgan back to, you know, right at that that end point of his John Wick esque, very kind of Call of Duty fight through a, you know, an abandoned, overrun, uh, compound. They all come face to face with their biggest, uh, traumas, I think, or potential traumas and fears. And that, for me, they, those three storylines, but especially Rick and Daryl, are really powerful. Because actually, if you lose Daryl, Rick, forget Morgan because they've given up on him. Um, but if you lose Daryl and Rick as, as leaders of the group and you lose their motivation, their drive, what do you have left? A bright future. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Jesus, uh, my God. No, no. If you lose Rick, you're in serious Definitely trouble. Definitely not Jesus. If you, lose, if you lose Rick, you're in serious trouble. If you lose Daryl, the fandom is going to go mental. Like, everyone would be up in arms. But, you know, it's coming, people. I'm just saying, Norman Reedus is a great actor. He's got bigger fish to fry. He, he might die this season. Be prepared. Sure he also wants a haircut. He, he wants to do something. He some, definitely wants a He haircut. wants to put a suit on. He wants to be like Wolf of Wall Street. He wants to do things like that. You know, he's he's he wants something completely different. The Daryl and Rick scenes are great. Um, with them moving through, there's that amazing bit where they go into the building, where there's just two guards silhouetted down outside of it, two headshots, blood, blood, splatter, splatter on each door. They Darryl walk into the building. That is wicked. And Daryl and Rick are like brothers. Rick has taken Daryl under his wing ever since the whole Merrill incident in season one, and mm. taught Daryl that. Being part of a group and being part of a family is important. And Daryl has blossomed under that. And they're like brothers. And I love them as a duo. And that's why it's going to really hurt Rick when uh, Daryl Darryl dies this season, in my opinion. We talked about it last week. I'm still, I'm still not unaccepting of the fact that we might lose Daryl this season. But I yeah. will still stand by the fact that if Daryl dies, we riot. Um, there will be a riot. We had a bit of a chat about what's happening outside of this, um, outside the building, physically outside the building. Yeah. If the Rick and Dad roll kind of back and forth, the very yep. silent, ominous experiences, which are quite similar to Tyron Jesus and, and a lot of other characters. But we see a lot of what I would call minor characters of the season. Right. Yeah. However... And there's some really emotional shit that happens. L- Len, yeah. Let's talk about how that reflects on the relationships and, and the characters in the comics, because we haven't really touched on that so far. Right, so the comics in this episode have very few similarities. The similarities that we've got are the fact that the group does split up like similarly, but not in the same sort of group uh, combinations that you have at the moment, but they split up and they attack different outposts. The plan is the same. You know, Negan gets trapped in by loads of walkers. 
they go and systematically take out all of his outposts while he cannot defend them. Uh, one of the similarities in the comics and the show is Aaron and Eric's relationship, um, which uh, and Aaron and Eric are laying siege to the gun cache building that uh, Rick and Daryl are infiltrating at this time. They drive up with the cars, they shoot loads of people, um, and they basically try and pin them down while Rick and Daryl find the guns. And Eric also... Uh, in the comics gets shot uh, but in the comics he gets shot in the head and he's dead instantly oh, dude, that's <laughs> so Aaron runs over to him and tries to say him boom shot in the head game over there goes your relationship there goes everything and I quite like Aaron as a character hell, they had such great spaghetti with Daryl oh fucking hell I mean like yeah that's the only memory Awful. I have of Eric to be fair but yeah Eric stepped up a little bit in these last couple of days. they're giving some more screen time so what does that mean now, what does that mean? He gets shot. He gone die. He gets shot in the side, um, and Aaron, you know, tries to help him. We don't see his fate in this episode, but in the comics, he's dead. No spoiler alert. He gets shot in the head. So, um, do not be surprised to see him perish in the next episode. Um, well, I think it's the first time for a while that we've seen any kind of real emotional tether. Um, you know, we haven't really seen Rick and Michonne that heavily this season so far. Which is I'm annoying because still... Michonne is awesome. I mean, she is awesome. And we, we and to throw a sidelight in here, we've missed some really, really awesome characters in episode two. Um, but it, it reminds, I think that particular part of The Damned reminds us that there are still human relationships here, not just fighting against the living and the dead. You know, yeah. fear the dead, fight There's... the living kind of uh, kind of situation. That Aaron and Eric are the one humanity in terms of kind of love and loyalty that we see in this episode. We do see a lot of humanity in terms of weakness elsewhere um, or conflict, but we don't really see love. Well, and I think this is the one point that we do, and and that's what keeps me going with the Walking Dead. Yeah, I mean, it's well, not. Ni- it's the fighting. Really. It's nice to see the look at the end of the day any sort of drama if you don't care about the characters the show is pointless or you don't you just don't you're not invested in the show you have to care about the characters first and foremost to care about what situations that they're, they're in to care about if they'll make it to care about how they deal with these situations the walking dead still survives as it is because people care about the the fans care about the characters we care about what happens to rick we care about what happens to Carl. We care about what happens to Daryl, Carol, Maggie, Ezekiel, you know, all of these characters. And and that is why we come back every week to watch it, because we want to see them prevail in this very depressing world that they live in, right? Yeah. And that is one of the strengths of the show. I think one of the you know, the writing isn't good. And I think sometimes whoa, I, don't, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think the writing's good. The writing isn't one hundred percent always good, but most of the time it's great yeah fine i mean it look it's got moments but it also has awful moments it it's... is literally shakespeare have you heard Corey <laughs> yeah it is literally shakespeare from ezekiel which is great yeah come <laughs> so, on it's great so writing their best writing comes from someone from the 16th century <laughs> and we all love will so yeah we all love him but i just i just i, I just i just mean that we care about the characters and it's a good example of it in this episode with aaron and eric that we still care about them, even though they're minor characters to an extent, we care about them. Now, I'm interested to see if he survives next week. kind of hope he doesn't. Well, what? I don't think he will, but that's just... But I also feel like that's a cheat. They're going to kill Eric and not kill anyone else. I want somebody important to die. I mean, I don't want the people I love to die. I love them all. But I want someone who's really integral to the fight and to the story and to our kind of family of of alexandrians oh people have to die like i want someone to fucking pop their clogs because i want to feel something and i i've loved the first two episodes i've really enjoyed what they're trying to do in terms of structure and style but i i I want some bloodshed i'm i'm gonna give the first two episodes a six and a half out of ten in total now i'm just gonna say this there needs to be something major that happens to a character and i'm not saying that is you never want that to be the case right but at the moment the alexandrians are having it pretty much all their own way um but i think we should bring it on to the reason why they're not having it all their own way 
I'm going to say that the return of Morales from season one, that is a bit of a game changer. So Rick has not, Rick's not got it all his own way at the end of this episode. So let's talk about his cliffhanger, right? What are you thinking about it? So you you don't remember Morales that in that much detail, right? No, not at all. And I think that um, it was a very confusing moment for me because I went, I know that guy's face. Yeah, he looks and familiar, I, right? Like, he looks you see really him. familiar. And it might be from all of those Instagram posts about him hanging around with a baseball bat covered in blood uh, about six months ago. When he yeah, that was going. weird. Yeah, no, you know, get over yourself. Uh, no, I, I take it back. You acted that really well. I'm sorry, dude. Um, but for me, I think, having then gone back and gone, wait, who was Morales? What impact does this have on the storyline? Yeah. It's, we're talking about this earlier, you know, it's a yeah. flashback for Rick of going, oh my God, this is who I was seven seasons ago, whatever that is in real life. And the comparison of pre-all-out war, pre-the governor, pre-the fucking farm, all of that stuff. Oh, yeah, and, and I think, early doors. You know, if you're talking about Rick seeing himself in the mirror covered in blood, standing over a baby whose father he's just killed it's it's a look back at what he could have become or where he could have gone and for for me having then gone back and reminded myself who Morales was it's well I could have been one of the saviors yeah I mean the position that Rick was in at the end of season six knelt down in the dirt with Negan about to bash one of his friend's brains in or his brain in his family his family in Rick could have been the one with the bat now let's let's just analyze that for a second. Like Rick, Ooh. Rick, and the Saviors, Alexandrians and the Saviors, are very, very similar. But they maybe along the way, the Saviors just took a slightly different path, right? That eventually got a bit more aggressive. Rick has done some terrible, terrible things in this world, and he realizes that at the moment of seeing Morales again, wow how far have I come from the fucking CDC before Morales left us in season one? Like, if you look at Rick back then, naive, you know, Shane was calling the shots, you know, Shane... I'm going to say weak. Well, yeah, yeah, weak. He was weak. But that's why Rick's great, because, you know, he's he's a character that's... like, And all our characters, like Maggie, etc., that have grown throughout this, this process. Not to make it sound like The Apprentice. But, um, <laughs> you know, they've grown. They've you grown. You are... A zombie. A zombie. <laughs> um, but they, they, you know, he's he's grown a lot. And, and to see Morales again, he was just like, you know, you were from Atlanta. And it's like, yeah, like, so Morales, le- like, left the group just before, I think, they go to the CDC. I think he decided to leave with his wife and children yeah. uh, to go, I can't remember where, but he refused to go to the CDC. I think it was, like, Texas or something. Or he yeah, was going to go that areas. way. And I kind of want to go back and rewatch it because I... I genuinely didn't remember his character as a person. I remember the name and I kind of recognised the face, but I didn't really remember his backstory or any of that. And I quite like to go back and rewatch those final moments that we have with him so I can kind of work out how the fuck he got from Texas to wherever the hell we are now. Near and Washington, D.C. Like, yeah. how has that even become a thing? I think that's, I think that's the interesting discussion. I want to know how Morales ended up with the saviors, right? I do want to know that, but I'm worried. And I'm going to tell you my worry right now. I am worried that we we are going to spend... <laughs> I haven't seen the preview for... Four ne- episodes. Yeah, I haven't seen the preview next for next week. So I, I can't comment on this, but I'm terrified of the fact that they're going to do a bottle episode and just have... How Morales got to here? Oh, they're going to do Jesus, it. No. They're going to do it. I'm, I'm telling you right now. I haven't seen it. It might not be next episode. It might be the episode after. But they're going to have a whole hour with commercial breaks dedicated to how he gets here. I might actually just switch off for the week if that's the case. But I won't know until I've seen it. I, I, there is no way I can bear to watch that. Look, he is not I w- important enough for that. Well, I want to know how he got how he gets there, right? I do, but you can do that in five minutes. It's but not I think, hard. Just I think, get him to tell you. I think the way to do it is to have an episode which is Rick still and Daryl still in this building, but have flashbacks from Morales' point of view, just, also, just dotted throughout the episode. So I'm, I'm, I really like the style that we've taken on for season eight, which is very much about mixed time frames, mixed time experiences. Um, but I also just want to know what the hell is going on right now. I want to get back to the present 
And yeah. actually, to Bloodshot Rick, to throw back to our last episode of Fan Critical, I want to know how we get to that point where he's so fucking distraught that his face is like bleeding from the eyes. Yeah. I don't want to spend an entire hour hearing about Morales' story. Yeah. I want to spend 15 minutes max, yeah. like at the first part of an episode, get a commercial break, and then get back into the here and now. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think the twist of bringing back. Um this character is very important um and i think it's a good move from them and i think it's one of the strongest parts of the episode he's a show only character Ooh. yeah i think it is i i think he's a show That's bold Lent. but there's not many characters they can do this with that have left the group and survived to a point so so it's really interesting to see how someone okay. who you kind of remember um can reconnect with the group i played the um the telltale walking dead game um and if anyone else plays that, it's really interesting to see how uh, Clementine, one of the main protagonists in that in in, in the, the main protagonist in that game, comes across different members of the group through different stages, like um, before they they become this group that we know. And it's really interesting to see a different side of The Walking Dead and how these characters had lives before they were part of Rick's group. Um, and I like the idea that Morales is one of these characters. Like he, the, 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 we, we, we have to find out about his origin story, as it were. But I just don't want it to be a whole episode. See, what's quite interesting is that um, we get that with everybody. The one thing that I feel like we've missed over the last season and a half is Negan's backstory. Because I know in the comics his backstory is well, we really are, quite interesting. Yeah, so we only found out his, his backstory recently because they released a short miniseries of a Negan backstory. But Can you give us a one uh, not to gonna, three sentence? I'm not going to say anything about Negan's backstory because I believe <laughs> he's not a dentist. I think it. it. I think it's going to change the way you think about him. So um, what I will say is that, yeah, backstories are really interesting. I don't think Morales warrants a whole episode, but I think that we just need to hear how he became part of the Saviors. And I hope if he's back, uh, you know... Come to the Alexandrian side of things, you know. Oh, fuck off, mate. Why not? He's not done anything not wrong you, yet. Morales. Like, fuck off. No. I'm not having that. He's not done anything Definitely wrong yet. Not. So Rick's in trouble, but I'm hoping that... No, nah, he fucked off because he wouldn't help them try and, you know... He wanted to protect his family. Yeah, they're probably all dead. No, well, now they're probably all dead. So we know why he might have taken his darker turn. You know, I, kind when... of, I get it. And I get the I get the importance and actually the significance of him coming back in terms of this particular kind of flashback, but not flashback moment for Rick and for Daryl and for Morgan. All of those kind of, this is where I could have unraveled and I haven't, but if you keep reminding me of it, I might just lose my shit moments are really key and really important. There's a little part of me that goes back to what we were talking about earlier where... I just don't want to have that moral battle anymore. I just want you to suck it up and be okay about killing people to survive. Yeah, I think... Because um, I would. Yeah, I think Morales, it, you know, he should just pull the trigger and kill Rick there and then if he's a 100% a saviour. He, he's got a story to tell and we're going to find out what that is, hopefully in the best format possible. Listen, Not Scott Gimple. Best format possible, please. Um, Thirty second montage. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a good way to end the episode, personally, and I'm excited. Len, what was your favourite part of the episode? If you can sum it up in one sentence, I'm going to sum it up in one word: Shiva. <laughs> oh. Yeah, when uh, when when uh, Shiva comes into play and absolutely takes out that guy, it's hilarious. And um, Actually, it's just great. To see, yeah, it's epic. It's great to see Shiva, Shiva on show. I know we didn't mention it earlier, but obviously she is amazing. And it's so weird to have a tiger in the zombie apocalypse. Like you just would not have that as a weapon of choice. But if you had it as an option, you know, you'd take it every day of the week. Absolutely. And I have to say from my perspective, it's the uh, fake it till you make it, baby. Yeah, I mean, that's hilarious as well. So I feel like between Len and I, Ezekiel's our favourite part of the entire uh, lo- I love Ezekiel. Like, he's great. He's just what you need in a time of uh, chaos. You just need a Shakespearean king to sort of lead you through things. So with a tiger as a sidekick, I mean, that's also mental. That's it's exactly what William Shakespeare would have wanted. It's what he would have wanted. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Will. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, we're going to be covering episode three next week of season eight. Out next Wednesday. Hear it up. 
Um, we hopefully will be seeing the return of Mr. John McCann. Uh, unfortunately, he's been taken on well this week. Let's hope he's, um, he's not been taken to the walking debt. He's pinned in by uh, 10,000 walkers at his door. Fortunately, he couldn't get out. We didn't have the resources because we're hoarding all of his guns. But it's all right because they'll probably beat us and, and come back and take them on. And then all three of us will be back next week to yep. cover the third episode of season eight. Uh, in the interim, we've had some uh, scheduling issues with the Upside Down. But our first two episodes covering Stranger Things season two, episodes one to three and episodes four to six, will be out next Monday. Yep. Um, and within the next fortnight, we will be covering Thor Ragnarok. Yep. You have been listening to another podcast by Fan Critical. I'm Emma, your host. I'll say goodnight and Len. Good night. Um, Gimple, do not fuck up the next episode. <laughs> Nick Tara, I love you. Please direct it. <laughs>